Hey, whatever time day it is, uh, thanks for tuning in. This is the uh, Smoke Signals podcast on Indians Baseball Insider. I'm Justin Latta, joined by Michael Kuva. Uh, Mike, let's get right into it. I don't want to waste a lot of time because last time we went pretty long and there's a lot to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, how are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there trying to uh, stay out of the cold here, but uh, Thanksgiving was was good for me and uh, looking forward to the holiday season coming up here. How have you been, Justin? Pretty good. Yeah, it's been cold. Enjoyed Thanksgiving. I'm trying to get through the last couple of weeks of work. I have the end of the year off uh, after Christmas, so I'm looking forward to some vacation time. So the next couple of days or week or so is going to go slow because I'm just going to want that time off. But uh, right. we'll get there. Um, so did you, how did you enjoy the winter meetings or a.k.a. Uh, Scott Boris Fest? <laughs> um, you know, honestly – I, I don't think I was like in years past, I would have MLB network on 24 seven um, just watching to see if anything happened. I think the last couple of years, not soured me, but it hasn't really been as active um, as it had been in years before 2017 and 2018. So um, also the Indians, I wasn't really expecting them to do much. So I kind of just tuned into MLB trade rumors or check Twitter, but I actually found myself, enjoying it more this year just because there were bigger moves made early on in the week. Uh, there were, I guess there ended up being a couple tribe guys in the, in the news. Um, so it was good. It's, it's been interesting to see where guys landed. I I'm intrigued about some of these fits free agent wise and some of the guys that haven't signed to see where, you know, what losers in the Cole and the Strasburg and the Rendon sweepstakes get some of the second tier free agents. But I think this one has been better than some of the previous years, um, but not quite where it was when I was in college or in high school, when I would literally sit glued to the TV screen to see what happened um, at these meetings. Yeah. More things did happen this year. I mean, you had the the big fish all signed early this year, as opposed to last year with Harper and Machado, but with those guys being so young, I think it made a lot of sense that teams didn't really know how to give out a 10 or 11 year contract because you don't see it too often. But right. all the big, all the big name guys, besides you know, I guess Josh Donaldson and Madison Bumgarner are kind of the last big names. But mostly it was Scott Boris clients getting signs. I kept, I kept joking on Twitter. I said maybe next year they should just send John Heyman because he breaks all the Scott Boris news. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> Boris, and then have the Rule Five draft, and everybody else can just kind of have a free vacation, I guess, because nothing else really happened outside of that. Right. Yeah, I actually saw a joke somewhere that someone said that. Scott Boris has like a little red phone in his office that just directs right to John Heyman and, <laughs> and he calls and he calls him to let him know about what's going on or to try to help drive the price up on one of his clients, which is kind of funny. Cause you're right. He does break almost every single Scott Boris uh, client signing somewhere. Heyman did not have a whole lot of Lindor news, but there was a lot. Uh, the only actually the only, not a lot, but there was a couple rumors that came out this week. Uh, early in the week and then later and today actually about Lindor to the Dodgers, which we talked about last time we potted together. Um, I don't know. I don't really want to get into, we, I guess we can cover some of them. I don't want to get too deep in them because then they, I think that justifies some of the stuff that I think is complete crap for lack of a better term. Um, right. You got report, reporters who are like, Oh, well, I, I'm not even going to say the reporter's names, but you have, uh, people who are saying, well, they're going to get Lux in May. They're in serious talks. And then there was reports today about how 
beginning to talk to, about the, to the Dodgers about Clevenger and Lindor. And, and maybe, maybe all those conversations happened, but I think the fact that they're being, the way they were being reported and the way news stations and radio stations and writers are running with those reports that it's like, oh, this is going to happen. This is, this is serious. It could happen tomorrow. Like, this is, this is going on. And people kind of go out of control with it because a lot of people aren't reading he- are just reading headlines now. And I know for a fact, at least one news station in Cleveland um, judges their content based off of social media interactions. They don't even care about uh, web clicks anymore. They don't care about website hits. They care about how many comments and reactions and shares they can get on an article they post on Facebook. So they don't even care if people are reading. They just want people to comment and, and share and react. And that's why these reports happen and then people aren't reading beyond the headline. And I, okay. So we know that Lux and May are like the guys that Indians should get. They can't sell for any less than at least one of those, but it doesn't sound like that's anywhere close because if the Indians were being offered one of those guys, there's a good chance the deal would already be done or close to be done. Right. I, I think there is, I see, I, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit more, and I think there is a, a, is a scenario where we could make a trade that didn't involve Lux, Verdugo, or May, and still come out fairly strong. It just wouldn't really be perceived the same way. Like, you saw um, Houston and, and Pittsburgh do this a couple of years ago, right? And, it, and obviously, you know, if you look at it now, very poor job on the pirates part of getting extracting as much value for Cole as they could, but they went for more of a, uh, a depth of prospects that are quality, but not star level with Joe Musgrove and um, Michael Feliz and Colin Moran. Some of these guys that are like two war players a year instead of the, you know, the higher echelon guys. And I think you could theoretically put together a package um centered around some of the other Dodger prospects that are still highly thought of. Josiah Gray is a rising star. Jeter Downs has some helium. Uh, Bush and Hosey both are corner bats. There's a couple catchers, Ruiz, Wong, Cartaya, uh, that they all could feasibly make up a good deal for the Indians. I just think that right now it would make the most sense to try to extract Lux Mayer Verdugo, one of the three in the deal as a headliner, because they have the most potential to be impact guys, especially with Verdugo and May and Lux, all three of them compared to the others, they have MLB experience. There's a little bit less risk there of, of, you know, what are they going to be at the big league level? Um, You know, going back to your point about some of the ridiculous trade trades, I just want to drop one in that I saw that was funny. I actually sent it to you on on Twitter. It was uh, Frankie Clevenger in hand for uh, Dustin May, uh, Kevin Lux, and Ross Stripling. And they said, who says no? I think it was a Dodgers fan, but it made me laugh because like that's just the ridiculous nature of people trying to, you know, come up with trades. I think he literally just went down the line and said, okay, Lux is kind of like Frankie – and Clevenger is like stripling and then hand is like may. And like, he, he just equated it out to what type of position was being included in the deal. But um, I, it, it makes sense to try to get Lux and may over Dugo. I think the notion that we would get even two of the three is, is not going to happen. I think one of the three should be the walkaway point most likely. And that's probably why there hasn't been a deal made yet because one of the three isn't included. And they're thinking if we can't get those guys, 
yeah, we could put together a different package, but really how much is his value going to depreciate if we traded him at the, at the trade deadline instead, we can wait and see if, if they become desperate, if someone gets hurt, if there's, if there's some type of change in the market that would make it more profitable for them to trade him later. I, I think that's what will happen, but I don't think just because they may not get Lux Mayer Verdugo doesn't mean it couldn't still be a win for the Indians. No, I just think I think Lux or May has to be the headliner, and really it has to be Lux because I think you need a position player back. Or if May is the head, if the headliner, you would need some sort of young hitter that's ready to step in soon. Um, but I, it's just hard to speculate. Like, yeah, there's some names to it. I think I think some people realize what the what the value is for for Lindor, and obviously everyone says they have to be blown away to make a trade. And to me, I, I said this on Twitter, and I said I wasn't going to dig into more Lindor rumors, like the stuff that happened today where some someone from a Atlanta radio station who was just, I don't know if he was just trying to get some attention or if, if he had someone that just gave him some bad information or what, but I think he mentioned like Lux May, Verdugo, Austin Barnes, international money for Lindor and, and a lot, and, and even some more prominent reporters commented on it. were like, yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. Like that you really shouldn't have said that because you sound like an idiot for saying it. <laughs> And then I, I don't buy the stuff with Clevenger either. Like, okay, m- these conversations could have happened, but I think some reporters, I, I really don't want to criticize reporters here because and, 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 I like a lot of them and I know they have a job to do. I get it. You know, I wanted to be in this industry too, you know, full time. But I feel like some people run with almost any kind of bit they might get. I, and I don't know, you know, maybe these guys do have good sources, but I feel like, a lot of times guys do run with things they might get that aren't necessarily fleshed out or completely accurate, or they're being used by the source to drive up. Like you said, like Heyman and Boris, like even in these trade talks, people leak trade rumors, like teams will leak trade rumors just to get the conversation going, drive up a price, you know, crazy. Right. Price. And I feel like there's some reporters who, don't care whether or not that might be the case. Like sometimes you have to process, you know, does it seem legitimate? Can I vet this? Does it make sense? And there's some people who are just like, screw it. It's a rumor. It's going to create buzz. And I used to get so mad when ESPN would use like first take or other stupid shows for guys to say dumb things. And, and then later at 6 PM on sports center, it would be the topic because somebody said something dumb and the player reacted to it. And I'm just like, you're just creating your own buzz. Like you're not reporting any real news. You're just creating dumb stories for you to talk about later. And as much as I always wanted baseball to be a part of the conversation, the way the NFL and the NBA have the last several years, I don't want it to happen like that. And that's what I kind of feel like is happening in some of these cases. Definitely. There, there is a lot of nonsense news being thrown around. And um, I, I agree with you on, on the fact of the way ESPN, you know, does it sometimes. I, I want baseball's buzz to be organic. I don't want it to be forced. And, um, you know, sometimes it feels that that's what's happening during these winter meetings or any type of, you know, open period where there's negotiations going on and, and trade talks and whatnot. Um, but to get back to your point about Clevenger, I, I definitely think that there was a, a time period where one of the, t- you know, the Dodgers reached out to the Indians and said, we'd love to talk to you about Clevenger what what's the price or or the indians gauged okay hey we really want may and lux what would that cost from your end what what would we have to give you to make it worth it to give you to give us those guys and that's when clevenger gets brought up i, I personally would rather deal kluber first 
just because of obviously the age aspect of things and Clevenger is really blossoming into a, a frontline guy where I think Kluber is more in the twilight of his career. Not that he won't be good, but he's, he's not 2014, 2017 Kluber. I think he's a little bit more in the middle. It's probably more like a good number two if he's really healthy, maybe a number three. Um, and that's still really valuable. I don't, I said this the last time on the podcast, but I don't see Clevenger as the, as the type of guy that I would personally overpay to lock up and keep with the agency. He's, he's going to be 29, right? So there is, there is a world where Clevenger may say, you know what? I, I I'd rather test for agency 32. Look at all these guys getting these big deals. I'll still be in good shape. I'm taking care of my body. I, I could still get a lot of money on the free agent market. There's also the scenario where, you know, if, if he takes a team friendly contract that, you know, takes him through his uh, RB years as well as maybe a couple of free agent years and he gets out in the open market at 34, he's probably not going to get the same type of earning potential. So I think for us to lock him up, he, he may, we may have to overpay a little bit more than what I would want to. And I'd rather prioritize Bieber because he's younger. I think he'll age better. Um, so I would be fine talking about Clevenger going in some type of deal, but I think this might be one year too early for him. I think I would rather see how McKenzie develops, see how Logan Allen and Scott Moss develop, see how some of the other younger guys who pitched last year pitch in their second year in the bigs, whether it's in short spurts or they're in the rotation, and move Kluber now and then reevaluate. Instead of you know trading two of our best pitchers, at least in recent memory, right off the bat, um, but if, if Kluber was included in a deal with Lindor and that got us Lux and May and a couple other pieces, I'd be okay with that. I don't know how you feel. I know we were going to talk a little bit about Kluber to the angels, but if we can maximize our return for Lindor by, by including Kluber and, and get better prospects from the Dodgers who, in my opinion, have better prospects than the angels do, or at least ones that are willing to pry away where that they'd be willing to trade away to get somebody of Kluber or Lindor's caliber. Um, you know, I think it makes sense, but I don't, I don't know how you feel about how, you know, about Clevenger getting traded or not, or what would, what you would prefer. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you on the Clevenger thing. I think it's a year too early, especially because they saw what they went through last year with pitching depth and they do have a lot of pitching depth built up, but a lot of them are young and unproven. And I think you'd like to see what Clevenger can do with the fully healthy year with you know, all the new things he's kind of picked up over the last year and a half. Uh, and then, obviously, they counted on Bieber heavily last year for innings, so you kind of need to protect him a little this year, and, and having Clevenger around is going to help that. Plus, I think Clevenger, I really don't want to trade him in general because this is a big thing. You know, Trevor Bauer, like him or not, had a huge impact on this pitching staff. Obviously, Kluber did, Mickey Calloway did, Josh Tomlin did. This is not necessarily an on-the-field thing, but, you know, all these guys are going to watch each other's bullpens every day. This whole starting rotation, they started this thing. And, you know, Bauer kind of taught Clevenger some things. They both kind of taught Beaver some things. And now Clevenger's out there, you know, buddying up with Zach Plesak. And now, you know, it wouldn't be stunning for me to, for us to see Plesak kind of blossom a little bit and, you know, gain some velocity or, or learn some new tricks that Clevenger and Bauer, uh, you know, gained. Clevenger's kind of taken on sort of a mentor role for some of these guys in the staff. And Kluber, like you said, kind of aging and, you know, his injury last year was pretty fluky, but I think you need a guy like that on the staff 
who can lead by example and lead by, you know, words as well. And Clevenger seems to be doing that with Plesak. I don't know what his relationship with everybody else he did with Bieber as well. Uh, I think this year, especially you could use that. Maybe we talk about it next year. And like you said, because of his age and, you know, he does throw pretty hard. He does have a crazy delivery. You know, maybe the burnout rate on Clevenger is higher than someone like a Bieber who isn't relying on throwing 97 and has a, you know, a little bit more of a simpler delivery. You know, maybe you get out on Clevenger before things get bad. Like, Maybe they should have seen on Kluber. But I agree. I don't think this is the year to be doing it. Um, my real question I wanted to bring up, like we can get into this a little bit more now, um, was, a, a, well, we can wait till later, but I wanted to talk about what a Bieber extension looks like if we have time. I'll save that for the end. I don't know necessarily if the Dodgers are going to want, if, if Kluber is going to boost the trade up enough with Lindor to take it from Lux being the headliner or Lux or maybe being the headliner to you can get Lux and May if you give us, you know, Kluber and, and Lindor. I think maybe it gives you a better third prospect if you add Kluber. But I don't know if you're getting, you know, co-headliners as opposed to one headliner just because Kluber is aging. I don't know. The risk is so low. Maybe, like, Rick Porcello just got $10 million yesterday. at seventeen. He did. It's seventeen million, yeah. It's and and Tanner Roark got twenty four million from the from the Blue Jays. Like at seventeen million, Kluber should be a bargain. You know, I guess it depends on how you feel he's going to rebound because he wasn't very good when he was healthy last year. But I think you bet on Kluber, the, the reputation he has and the history he has, and the fact that in twenty twenty one, he either has a seventeen million dollar option. I know there's some trade in this contract. I saw that floating around on Twitter today that there's some trade kickers. I think it's like a million dollars or something. Uh, but he also has like a $1 million buyout. So like if he has a bad 2020, the Dodgers, for example, could just say, you know what, for, for $2 million, we're just going to send you back on the free agent market and call it a wash. Like they don't have to be committed to the Kluber for two years if things don't go right. I just wonder how the Dodgers would view that risk and or the Angels for that matter. I, I don't really like the Angels just because like you said, kind of maximizing um, trade packages here. The Angels don't have a lot to offer the Indians, uh, and I don't think the Indians are going to sell them for on the cheap either. Or, you know, not going to take them at a really low value. But uh, the Dodgers would make some sense. I just don't know how much it boosts your your trade uh, value in return. Yeah, no, I, I I know what you're saying. It it really just depends on how they value them. I mean, even just doing calculations in my head real quick. If you if you take the price of one war in the open market at like nine million dollars, I mean Kluber if Kluber has a two war season, so basically he has to be okay and just stay on the field enough to really accumulate that, or he could have a rich hill stretch of like three months where he pitches really well, but then go on the shelf or something like that, and the deal pays for itself. So I think there's really very little risk, especially with the one million dollar buyout. Even if they think he's more of a number three than an ace, they don't. The Dodgers don't need him to be an ace. I think that the Angels would because they don't have as quite as good of a rotation. Who knows how many innings Otani's going to pitch? Bundy's been a little bit up and down. And, and other than that, I don't really know who else they have. I think they're still going to be in the market. Maybe they get Bumgarner. Maybe they sign Ryu. Maybe they you know go after Keuchel instead. But none of those guys um, that they currently have are. I mean, Otani will would be if he was fully healthy, but I don't think they're going to push him super hard 
you know, his first year coming off Tommy John throwing again. So it, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think Kluber is a great bargain for anybody. The Indians, it makes complete sense. Like you said, with some of these contracts that are getting handed out to pretty mediocre pitchers, let's face it, Porcello never should have won the Cy Young in 2016. Good for him. Probably made a little bit of extra money. Nice little trophy to keep in his house for the rest of his life, but he had no business winning it. Um, it was really based just off of that. He had 22 wins and the writers were still a little bit more archaic back then. Um, so Kluber and just to pivot over to the angels here. Uh, we talked a little bit about how Kluber uh, has been in the news, potentially going to the angels. They also talked about Carrasco. I don't, I mean, Carrasco is not going to get traded. I, I think there's, I, I don't like to put 0% chance on anything, but I think it's literally 0% chance that he would get traded, especially after everything that he went through how much he wants to be in Cleveland. He signed a team-friendly deal. He could have made so much more money pretty much his entire career if he just went somewhere else, if he took the took the dollars. But he just wants to be here so bad. There is literally no way he gets traded. I, I actually think he'll be a Cleveland Indian for life. I think they'll find a way to either keep him around on cheap deals once he's older. He could shift to the bullpen with his stuff. And I think it'll be he'll be a Cleveland Indian forever. I don't see any reason why they would trade him. Um, Kluber to the Angels, otherwise... I don't love their system. There's a lot of high they, – they've been drafting uh, high upside guys that are a little bit more risky profiles, really athletic. Jordan Adams, Jeremiah Jackson. Kieran Paris was a guy I thought the Indians might draft this year because he was very young for his class, an up-the-middle guy. Um, they have players, I think, to make a Kluber deal potentially interesting, but I don't know if some of these guys are, are worth – uh, taking the risk and, and, and trading them there and, and potentially some of these guys not panning out unless they really feel like those are the best offers they're going to get. Not sure who you think that they can make a trade for with Kluber in terms of the angels, what they would get back. But it, it, there's definitely some interest on my end of some of the guys they have. Jeff Ellis, uh, who used to write full-time for IDI and now does uh, college baseball and the draft and some other minor league stuff for, uh, scout on the whole now tweeted that uh, he thought maybe Tommy LaStella and, and maybe someone like a Brandon Marsh might be enough to land Kluber. And I kind of agree with that. I really don't love Tommy LaStella. He's only got one more year left to control before he's a free agent. And I know he kind of, you know, transformed into the launch angle revolution kind of thing last year. You know, he hit, started hitting more fly balls. It was a lot better offensively than he had been, even though he had some decent minor league numbers. But he's 31, doesn't play a great second base. Uh, like I said, he's a free agent next year. I'm okay on Marsh. I kind of I, – I suggested David Fletcher, but he's probably too young and a little too talented for the Angels to justify trading for Kluber. But Lafella does make some sense because he's – like I said, he's older and is a free agent next year. And it uh, doesn't really fit now because they have – the Angels have Rendon and Simmons and Fletcher to play those positions. So I guess they could – Potentially squeeze out Lestelle and get something out of him. I guess I'd be okay with that. It's just I don't really like Lestelle that much, and I kind of feel like I don't want to say it's selling low because Mark, you know, Marsh is a pretty good prospect, and Lestelle could help him next year. And you know, maybe in 2021 they can move Ramirez to second and have Jones ready at third, and that's kind of your stopgap. But I feel like that's an expensive price to, put, to pay for a stopgap infielder that you're not really 100% sure is legitimate from a year ago and you're giving up the guy who's been the workhorse of your staff and has been kind of the defining part of this regeneration or this, this um, I don't know really know how to phrase it. The guy who kind of has 
led your pitching staff into this era, era of dominance. You're just kind of giving you're kind of giving up for Tommy Lastella. It just feels kind of weak, and at that point, I'd rather just hang on to him, even though it may make sense for 2020. That's fair. I I, I think I'm a little bit more uh, bullish on Lastella than maybe you are, and not that I think he's like a impact guy, but perfect stopgap for the Indians for a year. I think it's Lastella Marsh and something else I think would, I would feel more comfortable. And obviously, no, we're not talking about Joe Adele. <laughs> I, I uh, like Jeff Phelps was today on 92, three, which I would love to have him. I just don't think, you know, it's just not going to happen. They would never do that. Um, I really loved Will Wilson before the draft. Obviously he just got traded. So that's one less guy. I think in a deal like this, and you're never supposed to look at it as if you, you want to accumulate the best talent possible, right? So you're not going to say we already have a lot of middle infielders. So maybe we just want to take their outfielder. If the outfielder is significantly worse than some other guy they could get, you want to accumulate talent. But I think the angels have a couple interesting outfielders that could be good third pieces. Um, I already mentioned a few of them, Jordan Adams, uh, Deshaun Knowles, Trent Devereaux. There's some guys that, Adams might be a little bit too um, have too much pedigree to be included as a third piece in a, in a Kluber deal. It, it depends on how much they value Kluber though. Um, but getting a couple outfielders in this, in this trade, uh, athletic, you know, raw power, some speed, Marsh can play all, you know, all over the outfield. Uh, so can Jordan Adams. There, there's some intrigue from my end on stacking up in the outfield department, because let's face it, we've talked about this before, the Indians really haven't done a great job of developing outfielders in their tenure. They have a lot of middle infielders and yeah, you can say Mercado, he did make a swing change, but he wasn't ours originally. And he was an infielder at, at, at you know, the beginning, but Zimmer really hasn't been very good. Um, not that he can't be a solid two ish war contributor, but he's not, I don't think he's a superstar. Um, and there's really nobody else coming up in the minors that I'm, that I'm looking at. That I that I think is going to be the next guy. I don't. Valera. I don't think Will Benson's going to do it. Who? Valera. Yeah, sorry, he's very far away though. I guess I'm thinking more in like the like Jordan Adams played in High A last year. Um, Marsh is in was in Double A, I think. Uh, yeah, Valera is the only guy because other than that, I mean, I like Corey Holland a lot, but I mean, he's very far away from being anything more than just an org guy. And there's there's a lot of risk there in his profile. Um, you know, there's, there's some guys that are interesting. I just don't, I just think it would be nice to get some depth in the outfield as well. And there's some guys in the system that I like. I, I also agree with you though, in the sense of let's not trade Kluber for nothing. Um, it would feel a little bit weird, but there, there from my end, I, I could see that happening and I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, if, the, if we got back a couple of guys that might be interesting that we maybe could mold into valuable contributors. Yeah, I think I think sometimes you have to make the unpopular trade too, and obviously Lindor would be unpopular. I think some people un, ungratefully so have soured on Kluber because of a couple bad starts last year and then the injury. I think people have kind of forgotten just how good he was, uh, especially the fact that he pretty much single him and Andrew Miller almost single handedly took the Indians to the World Series in twenty sixteen and right. all of a sudden Kluber is this washed up bum and I don't know. I think people have kind of forgotten that too. And I'm sure, but I'm sure the angels have, I'm sure they, they know that. And, and obviously they have Mickey Calloway now. So that, you know, maybe that plays a role. Maybe the angels, True. Say, we have Mickey Calloway, Mickey Calloway helped him, you know, pretty much shut down the Cubs for, for three games or two games, I should say on three days rest. So 
Uh, maybe there's something to that. I think that makes the most sense. And if, if I were the Angels, number one, I wouldn't stop at Rendon. You've already paid Rendon this much. You're paying Justin Upton a ton of money. You're still paying Albert Pujols a ridiculous amount of money. Consider that a sunk cost by now. Um, talking about guys that actually are washed up, that would be one of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, is and and, and not, I'm not saying obviously he's still a Hall of Famer, but at this point in his career, he's not anywhere close to being productive. But you've got all those money, all that money tied up already. Why would you stop and be like, oh, let's trade for Kluber? I, w- I would go out and, and pitch Madison Bumgarner. And, I, and he wants $100 million. I don't know if I'd do $100 million for Madison Bumgarner. But, you know, Ryu's out there. Keiko's out there. Um, I'm trying to think. There's, there's somebody else I'm missing. There's some other arms on the market where I would be like, you know, let's, let's see who else is out there first. And if we strike out or if we don't, they're asking for too much, then maybe we turn to Kluber. And, and that, to me, is more obviously a January thing. Um, so it's not, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow unless the Angels really feel like I don't know I don't think Bumgarner's coming down at 100 million but I don't think he's going to get it but I, I you know if they don't if they decide Keiko and Ryu aren't their cup of tea um, I think that's something you'll see them turn to Kluber and I think there's more something there um, just because of that but we'll see I I wouldn't stop at, at Anthony Rendon because you know you have a good lineup but I don't think uh, I don't think Otani and Griffin Canning and Rick Porcello are or not Rick Porcello, uh, Dylan Bundy are quite enough. <laughs> I don't, I agree. I don't think they're. I don't think it's close. Um, so they definitely need to go out and make some moves. If they go out and sign a guy, maybe they don't have the need for Kluber. But yeah, the Kluber. That's a good point. I didn't even think about it like that. But the Kluber thing could really be more of a January thing, just to see what let the market play itself out, and then revisit some of these trade talks with teams that might be interested. This is the last thing I want to say on Lindor, too. I said this on Twitter the other day, and I really haven't gotten into it very much, but um, the only only stance I'm holding on to at this point is if you're going to make a Lindor trade and, you know, maybe Kluber's in it, maybe he's not. Um, and it really, it really feels like the Dodgers are the only team that makes any sense. I thought that we, you know, we talked about the Phillies early on being a, a partner, maybe. Um, obviously, they sent you to Gregorius, so that, that takes them out of the equation. It's probably the Dodgers are bust. I don't see anybody else at this point. And the last thing I said was this. If you don't get a trade offer that includes Lux as the headliner, and maybe not even May. I don't think even May should be the headliner. because You need a position player to replace Lindor, and, and you don't have a shortstop ready to do that. Lux is ready if you make the trade. Or I guess if you get maybe you get Seager back and you get – I don't know, Max Muncy and Seager. I don't know, you know, so, some sort of that combination. Um, but if the Indians decide that whatever packages they're being offered by the Dodgers or somebody else swoops in and makes an offer, if they decide it's not worth their time to make or not worth the value to make that trade, you have to be prepared to go into a little bit of spending mode. I'm not saying, you know, run the payroll to 140, 150 million like you were a couple of years ago. If, if the Indians feel like that's out of their their comfort level spending. And I hate to get into too much ownership talk because you can hear that anywhere else. And you can hear all the <laughs> hot, hot takes on that on the radio or somewhere else. But I, the one thing I will say about spending money and ownership is if, if the front office comes to you as the Dolans and you, and they say, look, we're not getting the offers for Lindor that makes sense to trade him. We don't want to make this, make a deal just to make a deal because we're not going to give him a $300 million deal. And for the next two years, you know, bump your payroll into the 120, 130 million dollar range. And if, if even if 
you're saying that that means you're operating the red. You know what? In two years, when Lindor is gone and somebody signs him to a three hundred million dollar deal, your your payroll is going to go down anyway. You're not going to be paying him twenty five million or twenty million in, in, in arbitration, and Clevenger's you know going to be gone soon. After that, like your your payroll is going to go down by default when Lindor leaves. So if if the front office says, hey, we can't get a fair offer for Lindor on the trade market for the next two years, just realize that okay, we're going to have Lindor for two more years. He's a generational superstar. It's still a winnable, winnable division. And for two years, let's kind of push the limit a little bit on our money. And then two years from now when he's gone, the payroll is going to be down. We can scale back then. That's where I'm at. If the Indians don't trade in this winter, don't trade him at all because the value is not going to be there next year. And you're obviously not going to pay him. So just be as good as team as possible while he's here. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at on Lindor at this point. That's the last thing I really wanted to get into, especially on Twitter was kind of where I was at. Yeah, definitely. I can, uh, I, I, I like that thought process and there's a couple moves that we're going to get into later on in, in the podcast that you have written down that I don't think would make quite as much sense if we didn't have Lindor and that would, you know, taking a trade like Starling Marte, if we were to try to get a guy like that who has two more years of control, it wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense for us to trade Lindor, get some young guys who, could be impact guys right away, but probably might need to grow into the, into their own uh, as an MLB player going forward to trade for a guy like that, give up assets, take on more salary. If you're already, if you're making the commitment to move Lindor, not that we're ever going to rebuild or anything. I don't think that that's where this team will go at all for a while, just based off the way the, the system is organized and who they have at the major, major league level. But um there's a couple of moves that wouldn't really make quite as much sense to me to pursue if we were to move on from Lindor um, that we'll get into. But yeah, I, I would, I would like to see them bump it up a little bit as well. I don't think we should go crazy, but um, a little bit more on the fringes, grab a couple other, maybe, maybe grab an outfielder or an infielder that maybe is a little bit more than you'd like to spend, but you think will really help solidify the team. Uh, the, the lineup uh, could grab a bullpen arm as well. If you want, I think that would be a good move to do and, and let's enjoy the last couple of years as, as Paul Dolan said, not to get into ownership. I didn't even yeah. mean to do that either, but, but enjoy the last two years of Lindor. And then we'll, we'll say thank you for your services and we'll move forward with probably Tyler Freeman at short for a few years until Brian Rocchio is ready. Right. Yeah. So yeah, sure of things there. The last couple of things from the winter meeting is we've already gone kind of long, longer than I thought it would have, but it's been good. Um, the Indians were rumored to have interest in Jose Peraza uh, he signed with the Red Sox today. I didn't see the terms of the deal or how long, but uh, three year or sorry, three years, one um, one year, three mil, I think, with incentives. Yeah, okay, that's not terrible. I thought you said three year, and I was no. like, well, that's, yeah, that would have been crazy. No. Uh, yeah, one year and three million, I guess, is fine for Peraza. He would have been that's a, fine. I would have, I would have been okay with that if he was the Indian futility infielder. But exactly at the same time, you have Carlos Arroyo who is out of options and has to be on the 20, well, I, I got used to saying 26 fan roster, not 25. That's weird. Um, he's out of options. So Carlos Arroyo has already got to be on your roster unless you're going to cut bait already. So maybe Peraza doesn't make sense from that standpoint. Um, but I was definitely not, inter- not interested in him being a starter. He's been uh, under, I think, the 10% percentile in exit velocity and uh, hard hit rate the last two years, even though he was really good a year ago or uh, in 2018. 
because I was way out on Jose Peraza. So I'm glad uh, somebody else got him before the Indians did, even if he would have been a nice backup. Uh, and the other guy was, I forget who said it. Maybe it might have been John Heyman. So I, you know, I don't know, you know, how deep this runs, but the Indians were maybe interested in Chad Fender, who is a utility guy from Oakland, who is kind of interesting. He, uh, let's see where he was at this year. Had a 7.06 OPS this year. Didn't have a great year. Um, 76 percentile and exit velocity and hard hit rate hand in hand. That's interesting. Uh, his his ex woba ex woba the last in 2017 and 18 was excellent. It was in like the 350 range, even though his actual woba in 17 was fairly was like 315 320. And then the year 2018, he had a really good year, but can play all around the diamond. It grades out as a as a good defender in the outfield and he has three more seasons of control. So it's definitely a guy that I'd be interested in. I don't know what the cost would be, but um, I don't know what you think, but I would be interested in a guy like that. That would be a perfect Indians acquisition if we can make it happen. Yeah, I would agree. And I don't know what Oakland wants for him either. I know they're pretty close on not having Marcus Semien anymore because, you know, he just finished top three in the MVP and they're talking about trading him too. Cause that's, you know, how Oakland operates as well. So right. I don't really know why they would trade Pinder if they could move him into semi slot if that ever comes up. So uh, Pinder's also 27. I didn't realize he was that much older. Yeah, I'd be interested depending on the cost too. I think there's a guy who's got some underlying skills, strikes out a little more than, than I would like and doesn't walk a ton. So that always gives you pause. But the guy hits the ball hard and, and plays all over, even if some of his metrics at certain positions aren't great. But definitely a guy I'd be interested in. So we'll keep an eye on that going forward. Um, we talked about this before, so we can just briefly hit on this. The Indians have 13 starting pitchers on the 40-man roster, so I think this is what gives credence to the fact that at some point the Indians are going to make a move. I just don't know from what end of the roster. You have Kluber all the way down to Giancarlos Mejia. Uh, you know, there's Beaver, there's Plutko, there's Plesak, there's Jeffrey Rodriguez, Savali, Logan Allen, Scott Moss, Sam Hentges, Tristan McKenzie, um, you know, Clevenger, Carrasco, Beaver, obviously. Um, I, I think at some point one of those guys is going to get dealt. Plot goes out of options. So the, the Indians probably take him as their fifth starter for April and May and see how that goes because the top four are probably going to be really good. And I don't think they want to lose the guy to waivers uh, depth-wise. So I think, I think unless something changes, they'll probably roll Kluber or uh, Plutko as the fifth guy. Um. I, I don't know. I feel like they could trade Kluber. We just talked about that. They could trade Kluber, but I feel like Plesak and Savali and, and maybe Logan Allen. Um, yeah, obviously they felt like Scott Moss would have gone in the rule five draft. They didn't protect him. McKenzie probably still has some trade value. I feel like one of those guys could probably get dealt to, to add to the roster. You know, you, know, you just talked about selling Marte. One of those guys could go to Pittsburgh for selling Marte. I feel like if the Indians hang on to Lindor, and they need to find a way to add without spending, you know, free agent dollars. You know, I think one of those guys makes sense to move. And I think Plesak, Savali, uh, McKenzie, or Logan Allen probably have a decent amount of value. Definitely. I, I listed uh, of the 13 pitchers on, on the 40 man, I have in, in order of most likely to get dealt uh, Plutko, Plutko, Kluber, Clevenger. And then a distant fourth is Plesek. And maybe that's just my Plesek bias. I'm not, I'm not su- super high on Plesek. I think 
he, he's kind of already to the point where he's probably pitched his best uh, baseball for us. I, I see him as more of a fifth starter, uh, potentially like a sixth or seventh starter as like rotational depth, maybe more of a long relief type guy as, as opposed to a quality big league starter. That could just be me. You know, that's just my opinion. Maybe other people don't feel that way, but I, I would really, I really don't want to have to have Plucko pitch in the rotation. I know he can grind out outings and, and get outs here and there, but I just don't, uh, I, I don't really see where he fits on a, on a competitive team for too long. I would really love them to find a partner with a bad team that needs rotation depth that can give him a ton of innings, knowing he can eat some innings for them and, and has been around some of our quality big league arms that he could potentially help mold and, you know, maybe give him some pointers. Um, I think just looking at the list again uh, from a different perspective, I think a couple of these guys will become relievers. I think Hentges is going to be a reliever. I think Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez will be a reliever. And I think Plesek's kind of on the border. So I, I think some of this, the starting pitching log jam might, might even itself out just based off some of these guys not making it as starters. Um, but in terms of who is most likely to get dealt, I, I think Plucko, Cooper, or Clevenger, and I would be fine with really any of them with the exception of, I think, Clevenger, like I said earlier, it might be one year too early. But other than that, if there's a guy in here that can get a deal done for us and someone's interested in Plesak, Plucko, uh, I'd probably like to keep Savali, but Jeffrey, even Logan Allen or Scott Moss as a guy that we could potentially move. Um, I would be all for it to help, you know, improve the big league team with, with our depth that we have on the 40 man here. That's an interesting point you bring up about, about Plesa, Cause I wasn't really high on him originally either. I was, I mean, as far as where they tra- drafted him at in a situation, I thought he was a really worthwhile draft pick where they got him. Um, I didn't foresee his rise to the majors last year. Obviously I don't think anybody really did. Um, and I know he pitched way kind of, I'll pitch his peripherals last year and had some command issues at times. But here, here's why I'm kind of higher on him now than I had been. And this is probably some recency bias. Um, and something I mentioned to you before we started the podcast. You know, he does throw hard. He's super athletic. Those are, those are two of the traits. And I, I shouldn't say throw as hard, but please act's an athlete. He's not just a pitcher. Right. That's something the Indians are really interested in right now in terms of, um, traits the Indians can identify that help guys reach levels that other teams don't think they can reach. Um, athleticism is one of them. You know, when you talk about Plesak's pickoff move, his I think he was a quarterback in high school. Um, mm-hmm. Super athletic guy, and, I, and that's something that's a trait. Like I said, the Indians value. And now he's working out with, uh, you know, Mike Clevenger, and and Clevenger kind of became came into his own after training with Bauer and learning some things from Bauer. And now he's, and, and he and Bauer both helped Bieber improve. I'm not saying the Indians, you know, Ruben Diabla and, and Carl Willis and, and Matt Blake had a lot to do with, you know, Bieber and Clevenger becoming who they are, but how much the Indians pitching staff takes it upon themselves to help each other improve um, is pretty well documented. And I think Clevenger could play a role in that with police act They're you know, kind of budding up now that, you know, Clevenger doesn't have Bauer to hang out with all season. Um, right. That's, that's kind of his new new buddy. So, and, and, and this could be just, you know, like I said, recency bias or me kind of making stuff up. But 
you know, I could see a, a theory or, you know, a scenario where Clevenger does help Plesak kind of unlock some extra things or the Indians help him unlock some extra things that you didn't see last year that he can get better. Um, so I, I kind of have pause on trading him there. And, and last year, two years ago, I was kind of down on Savali. I thought the Indians should have moved Savali to the bullpen. I thought his fastball and slider and his uh, played up way better as a reliever. But then he came up last year and he was throwing, you know, 94 two seam and um, had a good breaking ball, had a pretty nice uh, change up at times. And I'm like, okay, well, really he's a starter. I was higher on, I was higher on Savali than I was Bieber coming out of the draft. And then as I saw Bieber pitch and Clement and Savali pitch more, I was higher on Bieber, but now I'm kind of seeing the value in Savali, Savali. but you know, if one, if, if a team comes asking about one of these guys, you can get something that's going to help you for the next two or three years. I think you have to do it. And I, I'm, I'm okay with trading either of them only for the fact that you have McKenzie and I don't know how much he's going to pitch, but I think you can reasonably hope that you can get what a hundred, 120 innings out of Tristan McKenzie and figure out the rest from there. If those 120 innings are really darn good. Um, or, you know, you trade him if he still has value too. If other teams want him, I think you have enough a year ago, if you would have asked me if I would have traded Tristan McKenzie, I would have said, Pretty much no. He would have been off my off, you know, on my my no no trade list. But now, you know, you got Logan Allen, Scott Moss, Plesak, Savali. Uh, I guess you have Henches, even though I'm not really ready to see him in the major leagues. But or Adam Scott, I know he's on the forty, but Adam Scott, I think, is pretty close. Cody Morris is not too far away. Um, you know, those are all guys that could pitch for you soon. I feel like you have to trade one of these guys now because you've built that pipeline and you have to fill holes elsewhere. No, that's good analysis. I, I see your points on Plesak, not to dwell, dwell on Plesak too much, but I've really wanted to get into this discussion because I, I, I've heard a lot of different opinions on how people feel about him. I, I agree. I, I mean, when I'm out scouting, I like athletic pitchers. Athletic pitchers can repeat their deliveries better. They can make adjustments a little bit easier. Their body might hold up better. It, there's a lot of benefits to it. I think he was actually a two-way player in college as well. I think he played a little bit of outfield. So you know he's athletic. I just feel personally, like looking at his body type and his frame, he's very, very strong. I think he utilizes his body pretty well in his delivery. I just don't – I don't know what, where else he's going to get more from what he already has. And not that spin rate or some of the metrics or everything because at the end of the day, like higher or lower than average spin on any pitch – isn't necessarily bad or good. It's, it's more so how are you utilizing the offering to optimize it? And for me, I'm looking at, if you look at the stuff compared to Savali, right? Savali's got above average spin, like upper 95th percentile in fastball and curveball, right? So he's got some interesting things he can play off each other and a north-south profile, as well as a very rounded out pitch mix. I, I don't think he's going to be a number three, but I think he's going to be a very good innings eating number four or five. Whereas Plesek, for me, I don't, he doesn't have generate great spin on his fastball. His breaking ball isn't, isn't super sharp as well. Not that again, curveballs can kind of vary in terms of what, where their spin rates at. And the, you know, some of it depends on the, the tilt and the spin efficiency and, and how he's utilizing those aspects of, of a pitch. But um, there's things about his arsenal that I'm not really into. I, I think that he doesn't, he just plays better in a, in a smaller role in shorter outings um as a guy who can eat some innings but to your point it, there's a there's a valid argument you made about clevenger and some of these guys mentoring um some of the younger guys and helping them improve and like like with like you said with bauer last year with clevenger and 
and um, rolling through his back leg instead of extending out. And he, he got a lot more out of his body and was able to throw harder. So there are some things that you can point to, to the hope that police could definitely hit a different ceiling than he's at. I'm just in the camp of I'm a little bit more reserved and where I think he's going to be. I think the way he pitched last year is kind of what he's going to be like. If he doesn't generate good spin on this uh, fastball or curveball already, he, he might just be a guy that trouble has trouble getting uh, generating spin. And that's just something that's more innate than some, it can't really be switched a ton, especially without switching your arm slot and a lot of overall profiles of your, of your delivery. So maybe there's some arsenal switches they can work with them on. Maybe changing the way that he grips his breaking ball, getting more gyro spin on it, lower spin efficiency, kind of like the way that Liam Hendricks uh, does in Oakland. He has a, that fastball and then he also has a, a basically like a gyro ball and it works really well for him. There's ways you can optimize your arsenal, but as currently constructed, he just doesn't really intrigue me in the same way that Savali does. Um, but enough about uh, Plesak and Savali. We can we can move forward to um, you know maybe some of these uh, it's free agent signings, you know, Garrett Cole and Strasburg, and then potentially talk a little bit about Shane Bieber here. I know you wanted to talk about that earlier. Yeah, I would just too real quick. We're not we don't have to get too super deep on this. I just wanted to get your opinion, and this is something interesting. I know. I think the athletics, there was a report the athletics were interested in Adam Brazier. Um, and, and there were some rumors about Pirates getting calls on selling Marte. I started thinking about it because it didn't seem to me like obviously the Indians have a type of guys they usually go after. And usually it's guys that have, they're younger and controllable. They're not looking to get guys that are rentals. They don't, you know, Puig was a real rare get for them last year or even the Jay Bruce's in the 2017 year. Um, but Marte and Frazier kind of fit. Stelling Marte and Adam Frazier fit what they would look for, even though Marte's only two more years. Um, but there aren't, there aren't a lot of teams that are looking – like I don't see a whole lot of rebuilding teams out there like that have what the Indians would want. Like, yeah, the Orioles have Trey Mancini, but I don't think the Indians really want that type because he's not really an outfielder, and he's also a little bit older, and I don't think the Orioles want to part with him. Mm-hmm. Like there's just not a lot of teams out there that have what the Indians are looking for, but are also looking to deal those guys because they're not, they know they're not going to compete this year. I feel like the Pirates are maybe one of those few teams. I know somebody said, and it might have been John Heyman again. So again, take it with a grain of salt. But they wanted a catcher in return, and I thought, well, we talk about these pitchers, you know, Plesac, Savali, McKenzie, or Logan Allen, and Bo Naylor for. You know, would you be willing to trade Bo Naylor for Frazier and, and Marte to shore up infield for a couple of years with Frazier and then two years of Stelly Marte while you have Lindor? I think that would be interesting. And I don't want to go making up trade rumors here. I'm just saying the Pirates are, might be looking for a catcher and um, they might be willing to listen on Marte and Frazier. And, and Naylor is the only guy the Indians have that they'd be able to offer to, to make that happen in addition to an arm. Yeah, yeah I – I like, I like Marte a lot. Um, there's a lot of really interesting qualities about him. The speed, the you know consistency in the outfield doesn't really walk a lot, doesn't really strike out a lot. Some, some burgeoning power as he's gotten a little bit older. He's been very consistent. Two more years, and then you let him walk. That, that would be an interesting guy to trade for. I, I looked into Adam Frazier a little bit more. He does seem to fit like the Indians' profile as a guy they might go after, but there's really not – he's not an impact bat at all uh, really poor metrics on hard hit percentage and ex-woba and 
he's a bat to ball guy, low swing strike rate. So maybe he fits as that stopgap can play around the, you know, second base and outfield and, and hold the position over. I don't know if I would trade a whole lot more in a package like that than Naylor. I think that's like right there. I mean, it depends on how you feel about him too, I guess. I, well, I, lo- I love Bo Naylor. Right. I'm pretty high on Bo Naylor as well. So I, I feel as if, the, yeah, we could consolidate our starting pitching depth by including that them, one of them in a deal, especially if they're going to trade Joe Musgrove, right? And they're, and they're like, hey, you know, he's an innings-eating number four guy. He's a two- to three-war pitcher a year at his best. We're going to move him. Let's accumulate a bunch of arms that can eat some innings for us and start rebooting the farm system here and, and trying to get you know, back to where we feel like we should be if there hadn't been some pretty horrible trades made in the last couple of years by that, that uh, regime. Um, but I, I think Naylor and that's, that's about it. Maybe, maybe you throw in a, a, a lower level. Yeah. Like, like Plutko. Exactly. I don't think I would go as high as, as saying I would give him McKenzie. I still feel pretty good about McKenzie being a number three. I don't think I would give away McKenzie for that. Um, just... I'd be happy. I would see. I would be fine with Hentges as well because of my belief that he's a reliever long term. If they wanted to take a chance on him and um, see if he could start for them, that would be fine. I would do Hentges and Naylor for for Martin Frazier. With with obviously like we're just talking about it, not looking into any of the value or or some of the the other aspects, the surplus value uh, that is, and some of the other things that you might consider in a deal like that. But I would I would be okay with that. I wouldn't I wouldn't look at that and go, man. Like that was a that was a bad move, but like I said earlier, the only way that I would do this is if we kept Lindor. I wouldn't make I wouldn't make this deal if we traded him personally, just because no, no. we wouldn't be in that same window exactly, and it wouldn't make any sense to trade away assets to get short term asset like Marte and a non impact bat like like Frazier if you were to move Lindor. So that would be a move to make if we're like, oh wow, we're not getting the right packages. And we're comfortable taking on Marte's eleven million dollars or however much he's owed in the next couple of years. It's like eleven million a year, maybe or twenty-two, yeah. twenty-three, and Frazier at probably low cost because he's not really an ARB guy that's going to get paid very well. So um, I would be fine with that. I would hate to part with Naylor, but I think that we we can make it work if we know that we're going to be competing pretty heavily in the next couple of years. Marte would look great in that lineup, and Frazier would fit in nicely as a as a supplementary piece. Yeah, well, definitely. When January rolls around and we start the uh, top 50 prospect list, Naylor is definitely a guy I want to talk about a lot because I think that the numbers don't really tell you how good of a year he had in 2019, and I think he's going to get some real trade helium here soon. And speaking about athletic guys, he's about as athletic as they come. I agree. Um, I, I like him a lot. Yeah, yeah. He's probably the best catching prospect they've had, I think, in the minors in quite a while. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Garrett Cole, truckload of money from the Yankees. Good for Garrett Cole, I guess. That's a lot of money. Um, his uh, great grandkids are never gonna have to work a day in their lives. And now, did you, did up- you see Trevor Williams? Trevor Williams tweeted, Imagine not having to think about getting guac at Chipotle every time you go. <laughs> that, I thought that was, I thought that was kind of a funny tweet. <laughs> I'm sure Zach Grinky still doesn't get it all the time when they raise the price. I'm sure he's still like, probably doesn't. It's too much. <laughs> I don't know. There might not be a whole lot of Chipotle's in New York, and we'll see what kind of diet he has. He's already got to, you know, shave his beard and cut his lettuce. I don't know. Uh, I hate that. That's, I'm not a big fan. I think it's kind of ridiculous, but, you know, when you pay that Very kind of Very archaic. Money, 
it is very archaic. I'm not sure why. I guess because the Steinbrenner owns the team, so maybe that's why they still do it. Right. Hey, if you're gonna pay three hundred and whatever they're paying Garrett Cole, I guess you can say we're giving you this much money. Go get a haircut. Whatever. It was a real crying sure. shame when when they asked Clint Frazier to cut his hair. I thought that was terrible. Well, oh, I know he had he had a really nice flow, and that was like his calling card too. He was kind of that quirky, long hair, like Jack dude, just kind of running around like with his head cut off. Um, it should be illegal for the, the Dodgers to trade if not that they're talking about it, but it should be illegal for the Dodgers to trade Dustin May to the the Yankees just for what they would have to do to his hair. It would just be so depressing. <laughs> he would look so weird without it without the flow. He would. Uh, so the Yankees' rotation is Garrett Cole. Luis Severino, James Paxton, Masahiro Tanaka, and who really cares who the fifth starter is because that's a great foursome. Uh, and that also makes the Astros worse in turn. So that has a real effect on the pitching market. You know, the Angels got better. So the AO West kind of opens up a little more. Uh, the uh, Astros don't have Garrett Cole, even though they still have uh, Verlander and Grinky, and they'll probably have Forrest Whitley at some point this year and look at Lance McCullers back. But, man, the Yankees look really good, and I just kind of wonder if that makes the Indians kind of reevaluate their position in the American League. Like, they probably have a chance to win the division as the roster is currently constructed, even though I don't, you know, love what they would have to do at the outfield or second base right now. But I feel like they're good enough to at least compete for the division, but definitely not much more. And I kind of wonder if the Cole thing and Rendon thing uh, – or at least the Angels needing pitching now because they lost out on Strasburg and Cole and need a pitcher. I wonder if that makes the Indians reevaluate the position as it relates to Lindor and also um, Shane Bieber and Corey Kluber or Mike Clevenger, I guess, because that's a name being thrown out there at this point. Right. Definitely. There, there is something to be said about that. I, I don't know if it's a ton different than, than how we felt last year, though. I, I mean – I think going into the year, we all felt like the Yankees and the Astros were the teams to beat. I think maybe you grouped the Red Sox in there, but I think even with as successful as they were the previous year, um, they were clearly the third best team. And, and that was and the Indians, or the Yankees had all the injuries last year, and obviously you know, the Astros were were very good. And and it's kind of shifted a little bit, but I think it's still. I don't know how much it changed. I think in the playoffs, I'm pretty sure it was an Astro ball, but uh, Sig Medal or maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong, the one that went to the Orioles from the Astros, um, he did some type of calculations and, and basically came to the conclusion that there's no team in the playoffs that has more than like an eight, uh, 58 to 42% chance to, like, to win or lose. It's like it's, it's near a coin flip. It's, it's in a very small window around that 50% mark. So if you get to the playoffs, uh, anything can really happen. I know it's cliche, but truthfully, anything can happen. Um, if you closed your eyes, or maybe not even close your eyes. Let's say you don't know the year of the roster. And I showed you 2016, 17 and 18. And I asked you to pick which one of those went to the world series. And you, you had no context of it. I would probably pick 17 or 18 before I'd pick 16. And I think it's not that that's going to happen every year. It was a very special team, but there's something to be said about getting there. And then if you get hot or something's clicking for you, uh, you can definitely make some noise. So I don't know if it's going to cause them to overreact and trade more than they might normally, but there is something to be said about the fact that it's it's going to be really difficult to make it to the World Series out of the AL. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned this before, but 
Uh, Clevenger, I don't think is going to get the type of guy that's going to get the in, any type of extension. So maybe he, maybe you talk about him a little bit more. You start gauging the market a year early, like they are doing. I think Bieber definitely should get a contract. You know, at least start talking about getting a contract extension. Not really sure what the price tag would be. I don't. I didn't really do a ton of research into comparable pre-arb contract extensions for guys Blake like Snell. Bieber, but Blake Snell. Blake Snell. What did he get again? Fifty mil. Five, five and fifty or something. Yeah, five and fifty, and that they don't actually have any options on him. It was just straight five and fifty, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's that seems in the wheelhouse. I had I had written down, uh, and this is a little a little bit more, as in like a hundred percent more. But I had five for a hundred, um, and thinking that okay, if it starts in twenty twenty one, you buy out one free agent year. He becomes a free agent at thirty one. He's still plenty young to get a big contract. And you and you escalate the dollars as every year, so I, whatever that would end up being. So, and obviously, time value of money. Maybe that's not really productive for him to have a twenty million dollar salary in twenty twenty five. But you know, as if you do something like that, I think that definitely gets it done. So, so anything less than that could potentially be an option as well. You're not going to buy out more than one year of his free agent. Uh, free agent years just because he's probably going to get paid. And like we just referenced Cole 327, Strasburg 245, Bumgarner is going to get probably between 85 to hundred million in that, in that middle range. That's a lot of money. So you, you probably don't want to kill your earning potential by signing something like Ronald Acuna did last year. Although I understand there's some other considerations for, for him in terms of in, it, having that guaranteed dollar. Um, but I, I would be interested to see what, what a Bieber contract would look like. What, what do you think that that might turn into? I mean, five for a hundred is obviously pretty aggressive. Are you more, are you lower, are you closer to snow? Um, or are you kind of in the middle of both of those? I would go beyond snow. I mean, pre-arb contracts are difficult. You know, they used to be a lot easier because the Indians and I guess the Rays and the, I don't know, Oakland never even really did it. But there was a time when the Indians were like one of the only teams to give out pre-arb contracts. So it was super easy for them to be like, hey, we're going to give you, you know, $4 million as a 24-year-old as opposed to 500000 But you're going to have to sacrifice, you know, a couple of years of free agency. And you might play at a, like 4 or $5 million below market value what you would get. Um, it used to be a lot easier to negotiate those. Now it's not, especially the way the free agent market's going with – obviously, Bieber is not Garrett Cole. Bieber is really good, but I don't, I don't envision – uh, four years from now, Shane Bieber getting $325 million from anybody. But no, I think you're right. I think what? So Bieber would be a free agent. If he didn't sign right now, he'd be a free agent uh, at the end of 2030. At 30? Yeah, I could probably envision him. It's so hard because you know what? By the time Bieber's a free agent, the CBA is going to be different. So who knows what that looks like? It's super hard to, I guess, predict at this point. But if you go off like present day value, God, I would probably guess like if he was a free agent at twenty at thirty years old in twenty nineteen, one seventy five. Yeah, I I don't know if he's quite two hundred. Like, like he's like in that he's in he's above one fifty. He's probably because he's a little bit of a you know cleaner mechanics and uh, his his arsenal may play better as he gets older. You know, maybe you go five years or six years, once, you know, 170, 175 is maybe in that range. I don't know if I'm a little light, but maybe 110 or 20. Because I'm thinking with Bieber, 
you got to account for the fact that, okay, he's not a fastball heavy guy. I know the rest of the sure. stuff plays well and command command's always going to age better. Um, you know, unless you have a serious arm injury, I think the only thing you would account for is, okay, his fastball is a 50. Now when he's 30, 31 with, you know, a thousand innings on, under his belt, even if his mechanics are pretty clean and he's got a healthy track record, you still got to expect, okay, his fastball probably going to be 90 to 92 and not really 92 to 95. Um, That's true. So you kind of have to account for some, some loss there. And I don't know, but yeah, present day, I would say five, 110, 120. So yeah, you're probably right on the five, a hundred track right there. And I don't know if the Indians convince him to do five eighty. Um, maybe. Yeah, maybe you can convince him to do five eighty if you're going to give him, like, if you say, like, what he's he's going to get, what, like six hundred thousand this year or something like that. If yeah, he's he's on like the minimum for a little while. He's on the minimum for two more years. Five hundred eighty-three thousand five hundred is what they have it projected at on Spot Track. Yeah, if you feel really super confident about getting him to agree to hit the free agent market at 32 as opposed to 30 and you tell him, you know, Hey, you're going to make 6 million or 4 million this year, as opposed to 600,000, you know, maybe you can get him to buy that, but I don't know. Beaver's agent might be like, Hey, I just had a really, he just had a really good year and look at the market, but then you could also, I don't know, maybe scare, I hate to say this tactic, but scare him into, Hey, we don't know what the next CBA is going to look like. Maybe you should take your money now. I don't know. But I think, I think you're right. Five and, if it's not close to, if it's not a hundred, it's close to it. And I don't know if the Indians are going to do that now. It's just how it's, it's hard for me to believe. Well, I guess supposedly they're willing to pay Lindor a hundred million. I'd probably that's Lindor though. Yeah, I would pay Lindor true. more than, you know what I mean? It's a different caliber. So I think maybe um, it's hard to be like a market value, fair team friendly extension. Like there's obviously a lot of nuance to what I just said there, but, and, but if you're looking at it, like, Objectively, I think five for hundred would be fair. I think the Indians will try to get him to take much less than that, probably twenty million less, like you said, yeah. um, and see if they can squeak it out in a little bit of a smaller range, maybe closer to Snell than to this hundred million that I proposed. But so that's that's in it's, the middle. I probably said, the, I said Snell at five fifty. You said five hundred. So you am in the middle at five eighty. I'm just saying, if I'm the Indians and I'm looking at Rick Porcello getting ten million, and I'm looking at Tanner Roark getting 24 million at whatever age he is and being a fifth starter, you know, I, I would seriously consider making sure that you get Bieber locked up sooner than later. Cause the closer he gets to free agency and I don't know what the CBA is going to look like when he does, but man, I would, I would seriously consider trying to get those talks started like soon. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I guess we'll see how the winter goes first, but that's kind of the thing that's like not dependent on, what else you do like the beaver con- the be- a beaver extension is something you're doing no matter what your positioning is because he's here for the long term and you need pitching especially if you're not going to have Lindor in two years and i think you can feel good about Lind- about beaver as anybody um in terms of future value uh the indians did not lose anybody in the rule five draft which i was kind of surprised by i figured the orioles would take one of them. I mean, the Orioles did take two minor league guys. They didn't take any of the Indians uh, that were left out the 40 man roster. I was kind of surprised they didn't, but you know, the Kai Toms and Jose Fermins and Luis Oviedo's and Oscar Gonzalez's, they're all safe from being picked by their teams. 
they did lose. The Indians didn't participate in the Rule Five draft in the Major League portion because uh, they signed James Hoyt last week to a split contract, so he's back on the forty-man roster. So the Indians did not have room to add today. Um, the Indians lost Christopher Cespedes, who's a, a six-foot-three outfielder who has not played above rookie ball. He's twenty-one, uh, high swing and miss guy. He's he's a corner outfield only guy. Uh, I put him at like a sixty raw power. The game power is not quite as high for Cespedes, but uh, Eric Longenhang and a fan graphs did note that Cespedes was running some of the highest exit velocities on the team and at Arizona out, but just a lot of swing and miss. Uh, to me, that's not a huge loss just because he's so far away, a lot of swing and miss, and he's corner outfield only, and he's spent a lot of years in, in rookie ball, and he's 21. Uh, Robo Santiago, 23-year-old second baseman who played at high A this year for the Indians, um, a lot of contact, doesn't strike out, doesn't walk. Pretty good field to hit, almost no power right now. Probably a second baseman only, but uh, he did have a good year offensively. But, you know, 23 and high A is, is old level. And I'll say Eric Longenhain again did mention that he probably got stuck in high A because unions have a lot of middle infield depth everywhere else. And the other guy, those two guys both went to the Orioles, by the way. And then uh, Jose Colina, who was a 20-year-old, 21-year-old catcher in the Arizona League for the Indians this year. Uh, got picked by the A's in the minor league portion. He's been in rookie ball for five years. Uh, spent the first four years with the White Sox. The, uh, 2019 was his only year at the Indians. Uh, had a 522 Woba in AZL ball, but that was the first time he'd ever had a whole lot of offensive success. He was 21. Um, none of those guys really, really – Make me feel like the Indians lost a whole t- a whole ton there, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, there, I don't, don't think there's a lot of a lot of value lost. No, did you have any thoughts on those guys? I was just going to say that for people who don't know, the minor league portion of the Rule Five draft, uh, guys don't have to be in the forty man roster, and uh, guys who get selected are pretty much gone forever. You don't get those guys back, so uh, those guys are out of the organization. Did you have any thoughts on on those three at this point? No, I mean I'm I'm gonna be honest. I I had to I had to do a little bit of digging on a few of them. I've heard Christopher Christopher Cespedes before, but I did not know who Wilbur Santiago or Jose Colina were. That doesn't mean that they weren't good or valuable in any way, but I they weren't uh, you know a, a 21 year old guy in the in the in rookie ball or not two 21 year olds in rookie ball. It, yeah, it's not it's not a good sign. It's not really predictive of success. You know he like you said Colina did have a pretty nice year this year, but he's also he's gonna be 22 in. Uh, in March. So it, he's playing against guys that are significantly younger than him. I would hope that he would have a little bit of success after being there for five years. Um, so no, nothing really of substance. It's kind of nice, even though I would have under, you know, it would have been good for, for some of the guys that were fringe uh, major league real five guys to get drafted. I'm glad we still have them. I'm glad that we have Tom as some depth. I'm glad that we have all of our bullpen arms that we can mix and match and see who's worth, being a part of the team and, and who may not be an MLB caliber reliever. Um, I I'm, I'm really happy that it worked out that way. Um, so I, you know, in terms of the minor league guys though, nothing of, nothing of consequence. I think we did a good job of making sure we protected the right guys. And now we still have the same quality of players in our system, you know, after the draft today. Yeah, and then there's like 37 guys the Indian or teams can protect from the minor league portion of the Rule Five draft, in addition to their 40 man guys. And those lists aren't made public, uh, but you can assume that you know 
Fermin and Jared Robinson and uh, Cam Hill and Luis Oviedo and Juan Mota. Those guys were all on the uh, reserve list. The Indians did pick up two guys in the minor league portion. They got left-hander Danny Young from Toronto. Uh, he was 25 this year. He'll be 26 in April. He pitched 40 innings in double-A, 32 strikeouts, 20 walks. He was a 2015 draft pick out of Florida. Gets the fastball to 91. Uh, as you can see by 20 walks and 40 innings has major command issues. He had command issues as a college uh, draft pick as well. Not really much there. The other guy that I will, I did spend some time looking at. I didn't anticipate this was uh, John. Po- Is it John or Jan? I'm not sure. I think it's Jan. Uh, <laughs> it might be Jan. Yeah. They, I'm pretty sure they said John. I was li- actually listening to the, uh, it was a periscope of the rule five draft because I am that kind of nerd. I took my lunch break at noon today because I knew the Rule 5 draft was going on at noon. Um, so I listened in. They definitely said John, but you might be right. It might be Jan Palufo from Baltimore. So Baltimore took two Indians players in the Rule 5 draft, which it would not be a Rule 5 draft if the Orioles didn't take an Indian. Uh, they seem to do it every year. Uh, was it TJ House and Anthony Santander and now these two guys? Mm-hmm. Um, but 22, 68 innings pitched last year. 67 strikeouts, 31 walks, and high A. Um, looked at some video. It looks like he kind of has a, a pretty good athletic, repeatable delivery, pretty athletic body. Uh, this was from 2018. 2080 Ball had a video on on YouTube that had him 89-91 with the fastball, 76-79 with the slider, and 80-82 with the changeup. And he looked like a, a pretty nice athletic pitcher. Uh, so there's some interest there. Uh, I imagine he'll go to – either Lynchburg or Akron to start the year and we'll see what happens. But I didn't really look, there was no video to be had of Danny Young because you can tell by the the stats that I'm not really sure what the Indians saw there. Maybe he was just a, a depth arm. Oh, you know what? The Indians lost Rob Kaminsky today. He was a minor league free agent. And he, he signed with the Cardinals, the team that drafted him. So maybe Danny Young was their, I don't know, project left-hander like Kaminsky was for a while, but Palufo kind of gives me some intrigue just on that video I saw of him at least. Yeah, and, and the little research that I did on, on Palufo as well, um, in 2017, uh, Fangraph's Cato projection system, who, you know, how they, they used to kind of look into uh, the minors yeah. and they project out what uh, their first like six years, their controllable years, like what their most probable outcome is in terms of war output. And on the sleeper list in 2017, uh, Juan or Jan Palufo uh, was projected for two war in his control years. So, and that's, I mean, in terms of guys who you've really never heard of before, maybe he, maybe he becomes an impact bullpen arm or something down the road. Maybe there's some type. I mean, this was also two years ago, a lot can change in two years, but uh, it looks like he's been pitching in relief for the most part of the last uh, two years. Um so maybe he's a maybe he's a guy that, like you said, there's some intrigue with the with the athleticism and delivery, and maybe he has a, you know, a, a decent uh, peripherals here in high A. So I mean, there's only a couple couple innings, and um, but even in low A, he had he had a, did a nice job this year. So maybe he's an arm that they can use and mold and, and see what they can do. But again, you know, we're grasping at straws. Overall, not a whole lot happened, um, and that's okay. There's really nothing wrong with that. I'm glad that we kept the guys that we have, and um, hopefully some of these other guys like like Jan here can can make an impact for us. Yeah, it's been a while since the Indians really had anybody Rule 5-wise come through for them. I think the last time they had a Rule 5 guy in the roster was uh, Jairo Asensio, and I think that was like 
oh, 20, might have been 2012 or 2011. All I remember about Jairo Asensio uh, is that he pitched, uh, maybe it was 2009 even. All I remember, it was, it was the first time I saw him pitch was uh, the home opener against Toronto, one of those years I just mentioned. Uh, Chris Perez blew the save, and it was very, very cold, as you would imagine, because it always is. But I remember Asensio mm-hmm. pitched, pitched in extra innings because the Indians blew like a three-run lead. Uh, he did not. I think he got the loss that day. He was pretty bad, and uh, that's that's about my memory of Hiro Senzu. And I'm almost almost positive that was the last Rule Five guy that uh, stuck on the Indians roster for any amount of time, which tells you what, all you need to know about the Rule Five roster draft. As much as I, I just uh, I just fact checked you here, and uh, it's, it was uh, it was April fifth, twenty twelve, first appearance against Toronto. He got the loss. He pitched three innings, gave up three runs, and a home run. Oh, he was so, so bad. And it was so cold, man. It was cold that day. Look, if you look at the box score, I'm almost sure you'll you'll see the Chris Perez blue save. Yeah, it was it was a rough day. It was it was just super cold. I remember not coming home very happy with Chris Perez or Jairo Senzio. I those those early. I feel like every single year at that point in time, we were playing either the White Sox or the Blue Jays, and it was freezing cold outside. And that was basically what you had to look forward to once baseball started in Cleveland. Man, Justin Matt, I, I pulled the box score up because I just wanted to see for myself. Justin Masterson threw, threw, threw eight innings of one-run ball, struck out ten that day. And Chris Perez comes in in the ninth inning, gets three runs and uh, on two walks and, and, and three hits. Man, that's a rough way to go. That's brutal. And that tells you why 2012 was the last time. Oh, no, the Indians had Chris Perez in 2013, too. Oh, boy. Well, that must have, that that should have been the signal at the beginning of the end. Man, this there there's some interesting names on this Blue Jays team. I don't I'm not gonna get into it too much, but Omar Vizquel played left field for a little bit and then went to first base. Uh, Rajai Davis was a was a pinch runner at one point. Um, Ricky Romero was the starting pitcher. There, those are some names. That that's that's fun to look back. You didn't even mention that Jose Bautista played right field for them that day mm-hmm. and. Edwin was their DH. Brett Laurie played third base for them that day, and they still have Colby Rasmus. Man, Eric Eric Timms, Eric Timms, yeah. Before he went to uh, before he went to Japan, geez, Darren Oliver mm-hmm. was still pitching. Yeah, I could go on all day. Oh man, the Indians starter in left field was uh, <laughs> Shelly Duncan. Shelly Duncan, <laughs> just re- revisiting the uh, all decade roster uh, game we played. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was the last time the Indians had a Rule 5 guy in their roster. I'm almost positive. I don't know if you want to fact check that. But, uh, yeah, building your team to the Rule 5, not super great. and uh, Not optimal. Not optimal. The Orioles tried to do it for a long time. I think they had, like, Richie Martin. and mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, they had, they've had a lot of Rule 5 guys over there. I'm not sure why they do it. But, hey, they got two Indians guys and – Actually, as far as minor league guys go, they got at least that, that's what you do in the Rule Five draft is you try to take guys that are, uh, you know, that have like one skill that you're really interested in and see if they can uh, make it more useful. We spent a lot of time on this. We probably should uh, wrap this up because I don't think anybody cares about this except for us. <laughs> that's okay. That's the way I like it. I, I like yeah. talking baseball, whether it's Jan Palufo or or we're talking about Shelly Duncan. Yeah, I, I joked today. I was like, I can't believe that I. I I ended up summarizing all the Indians did in the Rule Five draft, which is you know losing the three guys and adding the two, and I was like, "May God have mercy on the souls of people who are still following me after this." But I didn't, <laughs> I didn't lose any followers, so I guess that means that 
people at least are interested in hearing the information. Right. Uh, I think that about does it for the Rule 5 draft. We won't record next week, I'd imagine, because, uh, well, I don't know. If something happens, we can maybe record. It depends on what your schedule is. I'm pretty open next week. I, it's my last week of work for the year. So if something comes up, I'm free to pod. If you are, um, if not, we probably won't reconvene until the week after Christmas because the week after that is Christmas. So right. Um, if we don't hit the airwaves until then, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. And uh, I hope it's a least, less frustrating two weeks as far as uh, Indians rumors are concerned. That's what I'll wish for. Definitely. And, and same, same for my end. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone who listens and everyone who reads IBI. Um, it's been a great year for me personally, just getting to expand my baseball knowledge, have different platforms to write for. Very thankful for the opportunity to be a part of IBI and to get to co-host this podcast with you, Justin. And um, I think I should have some time next week as well. So if anything of substance happens, I would definitely be interested in recording a podcast to, to talk through it a little bit and kind of get some reactions and hot takes on what the Indians might be doing. Hey, maybe, maybe next week, if there is no breaking news, we can finally do the, uh, the Grady Sizemore Appreciation Podcast, or we can, uh, you know, get into some of the niche topics like trade value or uh, what are the, I, there was some other stuff we threw out there a few weeks ago, but, um, you know, if we feel top like- 25 moments of the decade. Oh, you know what? Shoot. Let, let's do that next week. Let's, let's split between a little bit of, well, we can just include Grady Sizemore in this, but. most of his top moments came before the last decade but yeah let's 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 try to make time next week for the top moments of the decade let's see if we can do that cool i I, i'm definitely down for that we should definitely have i should definitely have some time uh, okay to make sure that we can do that all right well maybe we'll reconvene next week then let's let's try to plan on that hopefully we'll get that out um if you haven't already uh will hood did a good job for us this week uh putting out some rule five coverage pre Rule 5 got you all primed for what happened today. So if you were interested in why some guys might have been picked and who was available and why they didn't get picked, uh, that's still up on the site. Uh, he just gave me a Rule 5, or not a Rule 5, uh, Corey Kluber trade value piece. That'll be up next week if he's not traded before then. Hopefully not. I don't think he will be, but you never know. Um, and tomorrow or Saturday, I'll have the list of best tools in the Indians minors up um, in addition to a recap of the prospect awards. Uh, all the prospect awards are covered from breakout, pitcher, reliever, hitter of the year, uh, most disappointing prospect as well. Those are all up on the site uh, in the past couple weeks. Those are done, and then I'll have the best tools out tomorrow or Saturday. Anything you want to plug or, or, or mention as final thoughts? No, I think I'm good from my end. I think this was a really good podcast. had a lot of good information, good conversations, good topics, and Looking forward to diving into some of the best moments uh, the decade next week with you. Yeah, best. We can even highlight the worst because there were some goofy ones too. So we can even <laughs> talk about some of the crazy moments too. Uh, so yeah, we've gone, we've got a little more than ninety minutes. So uh, Mike, thanks for being here. Thanks for podcasting again. And uh, we'll something we'll talk next week. Sounds good, Justin. See you later. All right, thanks everybody for listening and uh, tune in either next week or after Christmas, but we'll, uh, we'll let you know.